Yo, 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 what up? Welcome back to the one and only The Minorities Report Podcast, your weekly deep dive into all things movies and entertainment through a colorful perspective. I'm your host, Kobe Mack, alongside my Hugh crew. We got Raul Nevado at the Raul, Raul Nevado on Twitter. What's up, Raul? Hey, what's going on, people? How you feeling, brother? You know, feeling pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing really, really good, and I'm really, really excited because he's back! We've got Shama in the house. Howdy doody, Shama. You can go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Mohammed Shama. How you doing, my friend? I'm back. I miss you guys. I'm doing fantastic. We missed you more. You feeling good? Yeah, much better. Hey, we're really, really happy to have you. And of course, we're also happy to have the one and only. We've got it here. The Desert Ezra, the producer of this damn thing. We've got the Desiree Nevado, a.k.a. Dre. How you doing, girl? It's a lot of nicknames. You know what? I try. I'm going to get really, really creative with this. So I'm but you didn't even coming. say my favorite nickname. Wait, which one is that? It's the Potty Mouth Princess. The Potty Mouth Princess herself. Desiree Nevado. Yes, hello, hello. I gotta make, I'm gonna keep that as a staple to just kind of keep folding it every time. But I'm glad that we're back. We're ready to kick off this show. And we would love that if you could consider giving the show a follow as well at MReportPod on Twitter and Instagram. So, first up on the report, we got the weekend box office. I think it's really important as we got a couple of folks on this podcast that. They kind of do this for a living, and I just got to, you know, want to break down and what the totals look like, what's seeing what, who's seeing who, and all that good stuff. Just a quick rundown of the top 10. We got How to Train Your Dragon, which is the premiere movie this past week, made $30 million. Second up to that movie was at a Medea Family Funeral at $27 million. We got Alita Battle Angel at $7 million. Man, that's a big Yo, drop. Colby. Yes, sir. Let's, let's just be real, man. We don't even got to go through all 10. We know why you put this on here. We get it. How to Train a Dragon made money this weekend. We get it. It made a lot of money this weekend. <laughs> we get it. You love this movie. It made money. I love this movie. Yeah. Yo, so start I mean, telling us why do you love this movie. I, don't worry. We're going to get to this in a little bit. But I just want to celebrate what's the whole goal of these movies, right? I mean, these are people who spend six to nine months of their entire lives from pre-production to production to post-production to marketing to P&A. And it's all to get that almighty dollar. Yeah, but the further you get, the yeah. further you get down the list, it's just kind of sad. So it's just kind of like don't even. But this it. is this is this past week. This isn't what they made in their first week. I mean, oh, it's that's Reddit, a beautiful it's thing. first week. Sure, but yeah. but it's not. Is it fighting with my family's first week? Third week. Uh, Third it, week. No, that's... fighting with my family. This is it's uh, fighting with my family. Their second week. Yeah, and so I'd be curious yeah. to know what they made in their first week. Fourteen million dollars. Not much. First week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's the one thing that I like breaking down and getting to the top 10 because it tells so many different stories. So, like, obviously, you're going to find that using the top five, it better be the debut movies of that particular week. And you can expect the totals to kind of diminish by 30, 40 and 50 percent going on. But the fact that, one, there's been a little not so much domestic resurgence for Alita Battle Angel. It's been more so worldwide. The first story that really struck a chord with me was Green Book. This movie's been out for 16 weeks, and it almost cracked the top five, and it pulled in $4.5 million this weekend. It's actually, it's actually so, been out for 18 weeks. 18 weeks, forgive me. So it got the Oscars bump, right? And I think that if it's the one thing, and we, I just want to touch on it real quick from last week's conversation, 
This is kind of what the Oscars is about. Not only is it celebrating some of the greatest movies in cinema of 2018, but it's to also add more money to the box office totals because more people now see Academy Award winning Green Book return back in the theaters and want to go watch it for themselves. I wonder how Roma would have done because uh, a lot of people I know have already told me how uh, they decided to watch Roma because of the Oscars and they've expressed their disappointment. So I'm curious to know how it would have made financially. <laughs> Well, I can promise you that Steven Spielberg would have shitted all over its box office performance. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to touch on that in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, kind of at the bottom, well, the one movie that I was kind of hoping that would have had a little bit more impressive um, impressive debut was Greta. Um, it, afford- it did crack the top 10, but in its debut week was only able to uh, come up with about $4.4 million. Um, it was a small budget, thankfully. Um, it may be able to get its money back, but we're now in March, and this tends to be the thick of the 2019 uh, movie season. Um, but that's just some of the box office totals and a little bit of thoughts and sentiments that we kind of got around it. Please go out there, spend your hard-earned dollars on movies that matter, and um, yeah, just kind of you know uh, keep in touch with us. I want to make sure that we kind of talk about the box office as much as possible. And then, yo, maybe we should do like a podcast uh, uh, group. Um, uh, what's what's the, what's the fantasy movie league? Have you guys played that before? I have. I, I so I tried it once and then I kind of fell off. Shama, you played? No. I, fe- I fell off of it hard because I, yeah, so, I don't like I, the style of it, but I, I played it for a while. So I played like a whole bunch of fantasy football, and I was hoping that I would find that, and it's a little bit different. So maybe I'm hoping that maybe somebody can explain the rules like a little bit better, and I can kind of jive with it because I think it's a really cool concept and something that we as a community can all play along with. Um, so that's definitely something to table. Hey, producer, that's something to table. Can you put a pin in that? Uh, Putting a pin in it right now. Ooh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Cool, cool, cool. She she actually (laughs) has a board where she puts physical pins on things. Oh, my God. Is your face on that board? (laughs) I'm mad that she put a pin in you all the time. Pinned it already. My face is on the back. (laughs) Oh, your face is... Ay, chihuahua. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Yo, yo, yo. Well, next up on the report, we've got the news. 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 Yo, we need a soundboard. Um, put a pin in there. <laughs> put a pin on soundboard, please. Put a pin on soundboard. We have um, Rami Malik is in serious talks to play villain in the Bond 25. Actually, last year they requested um, to have a meeting with him when they were, they were planning to start production in 2018, early 2018. And his schedule had some conflicts and uh, he said he cannot do it. But this year, since the production was postponed for a while, they are still in talks about it. And he was in an interview last week, and he mentioned that he really likes to have the next step to, to be a villain in a Bond movie. Do you guys think that's a good move for him? I, I mean, personally, I, I think that you, know, you want to try to ride your Oscars wave as much as you can. In the past few years, some actors have been more hit than miss. And like what's been like the preceding role that they've taken, I think like the most glaring that I can remember is um, what's the dude? Um, he was inside of uh, Jupiter Ascending, and he literally just won for Theory of Everything. Oh, oh, yeah, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, and yeah, Eddie Redmayne. Like, and it's crazy because that movie is garbage, and I have no idea what he was trying to do. But my dude fully committed. He did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> it was like super out there and like, okay, this is the part of the podcast where Kobe's going to go ahead and do his impersonation. I'm Eddie Redmayne. My voice is struggling to emote through these callous eyes that are caked in makeup. I'm in this horrible Wachowski's movie, and I have no idea why my agent booked this for me, but I'm going to commit, damn it, because I'm an Oscar winner. Right? That was good, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know know what's funny? That movie's terrible, but, like, he... He nailed what he was supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he was supposed to do, like if that's what they were going for, yo, give him another Oscar, right? But yeah. were you guys, man, oh you, man. Your, Shama, your original question was about Rami Rob, Rob, Manic. Like, do you guys think that's the good I, move for I him? I think he could play a good villain. I, I agree. I, I think he could do it. I, I really see it in him, yeah. I think I could see it. I mean, you got you to gotta consider... Um, uh, homeboy that played a villain in Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Who was... Uh, well, Skyfall was Javier Bardem. Yes, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem, yeah. Javier, Javier Bardem was... nailed that role. And I can see a very, a very uh, similar role where he's very manipulative and very, like, like... Like, he doesn't look necessarily threatening, but, like, everything going on in his head is on another level that Bond has to consider seriously dangerous because of where he's at mentally in his state. You know what I mean? Like, And so I can see him playing that kind of like evil genius that is kind of like running things. And and, and I, I really hope it's nothing like Spectre because I, that, Wall, I, I hated everything about Spectre. But like I'm hoping that he's more involved. You know, whereas like Spectre, Christoph Waltz's character seems to be like he has this network and he's kind of like in the background. I, like I can totally see Remy Malik like actually being like he looks non-threatening, and then all of a sudden when you really corner him, he is he is a bad dude that can hold his own. And I could totally see him doing some crazy choreography, some really really good stunts with with Daniel Craig holding his own and like and like being very impressive, and then having from one second to the other switching to this very malicious very serious uh, personnel, personality, you know? I think it'd be great. I, I can totally see him yeah. doing something like this. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, I mean, I just... There's a there's a part of Rami Malek's disposition, just physically, that would have me think he's going to be less Javier Bardem and more Christoph Waltz. I mean, he let's, if we look at his filmography, he hasn't done a whole lot, right? Um, I did want to catch Papillion, because I feel like he kind of had... This kind of duplicitous nature in that movie. I mean, he he was in prison. Papillon. Um, Papillon. Say that again. Papillon. Papillon. It's not Papillon. It's Papi Papi. Papillon. It's French. It's French. It's French. Papillon. Yeah, Papillon. She says that word in um, Cinderella. The little girl. That's the word that her dad teaches her when he comes into the. Mm, that's correct. Yeah. 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 That's correct. Okay, so y'all gonna tell me what the hell it means? <laughs> Papillon means bow tie. So the prison's name, the bow tie? Yeah, because like um, before he went to prison, he was uh, a burglar. Like, uh, what's his name? Charlie Ham? What's the guy's name? Char- Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, Char- yeah, this guy. So uh, that Charlie was his Hamm? nickname. <laughs> I forgot his name. That was his nickname. Oh, that's the... his nickname, not the prison's yeah, name. Yeah, that's his, his nickname. nickname. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's about him. It's about him. Okay. I love these little rabbit trails we go down. That's, 
does that make sense? Because the word he's teaching her is butterfly. She says some. He says something before it. It's like something papillon. And it's it's it butterfly. butterfly. It means both of them. Yeah. yeah. It means butterfly. It means you can learn time. a lot from yeah. movies, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and of C- Cinderella yeah. of all yeah. movies. <laughs> it means both of them. Yeah. And I think in the movie, Papillon has a butterfly tattoo on his back at the same time yeah. while wearing the bow tie in the front. Something related to this. Yeah. Shout out to Focus Features. <laughs> so I think, well, where did you stand, Kayla, on the whole room, Alec? Oh, you, I, I'm concerned about, I, I'm concerned about if he leans towards more than Christoph Waltz. But I, I'm hoping not. I'm hoping, I'm hoping he does a great job. But um, well, to be to well, and honestly, another reason as an actor, I feel like because he has not really been defined as an actor yet, he made a really big leap from being a TV actor to this really unique role that maybe only he could have played well. It was either between him and Sasha Baron Cohen. If he goes the villain route, he could kind of be stuck in that role because he is not your typical leading man. That's true. You know, so I I I, I hope. That it is not just like, oh, wow, he's going to do this really, really well. Because think when Christoph Waltz like came onto the scene, like, okay, now he's just the bad guy. And then he's kind of like the dark good guy. I mean, think of like, you know, Christoph Waltz's character in Django Unchained. He was a bad guy. And I don't want Rami to be the bad guy or a good guy who does bad things. Um, and I feel like he needs to really just really like, okay, is this the right move for me? So... No, no, I think it could be good. I kind of want to see him as a bad guy. Yeah, I like it. Hey, we just got we got something to look forward to. That's a conversation we got to look forward to in the future. Dre, what you got for us? Well, my girl Sansa. <laughs> Sophie Turner. Yes, is in a new movie, and it is X Men: Dark Phoenix. And what we're talking about is the trailer and this. So this is a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the trailer, go see the trailer. It's not really a spoiler for the movie. But there's a major... Yeah, there's... Oh. It is. Well, I, I mean, it's not... We're not spoiling it for the oh, movie. Oh, sure, The sure, trailer sure. is spoiling it for the movie. Yeah, Fox has done the spoiling. And there was question of a significant death that took place, and it has been confirmed by the director that, yes, Jennifer Lawrence dies at the hands of Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this movie has already been pushed back twice, right? Um, it took forever to do reshoots. Like, this is... This movie was doomed from the start. Yeah. Like, and most of the X-Men franchise is such an odd machination of, like, how they decided to adapt this entire series. And it is not what people say it is. Like, it's not the franchise that started all. Shout out to Blade and Wesley Snipes. That started... The Marvel movie hero, you know, craze. Um, X-Men was revolutionary for its time. It is not... An, none of these are X-Men movies. These are just, like, really good mutant movies that are loosely and very loosely adapted from the comic. But in regards to this production, the fact that a first-time director gets handed $150-plus million to do an X-Men movie and says that they're going to make the smart decision... <laughs> Instead of forcing Jennifer Lawrence to honor her contract and to do her job, all right, we're going to kill you off so you don't have to sit in five hours of makeup. Are you effing kidding me? And if you were going to make a decision to kill off such an epic character, why would you show it in the trailer? Why not let the audience feel that in the theater? And in the trailer, it's kind of thrown away. Like, it was almost like an Easter egg. Like, you could, if you first watched it, like, when I first watched it, 
I'm like, oh, yo, she just like went through like a house. Oh, there's a few. Oh, she's dead. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> like it, it had no fanfare. And like, okay, Jennifer Lawrence is a really big name. And I thought that she was really, and even though I didn't like the makeup in the first X-Men, for, I love X-Men First Class. It's like my third favorite X-Men movie. Um, but I like what she did. And I love the whole vibe like of this rebooted kind of four-part series of, the, of this version of the films. Like that's one of the strongest. And she's been around. She had like a really prominent role in Days of Futures Past. And then it got smaller in Apocalypse. Apocalypse yeah. Nobody really wants to talk about that movie. Yeah. But like at least she dies so unceremoniously. Like there's no wait. Imagine like like and I could what that leads me to believe is that it's written so poorly and it's not gonna have any type of effect. And we're just gonna get another last stand. Uh, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately unfortunately, so like the way what where where the where it fails, right? Because I actually really like that part of the trailer. I really like when when you see it and she's crying and, and then it's like leading and you're like, Oh my gosh, what is she talking about? Who did she kill? Like I like that whole part right up until they show who she kills. Whereas like and, and I even like that tender moment between her and Mystique in the trailer, you know, where Mystique is saying something to her, she's trying to calm her down, whatever it is. I really like all that. Yeah, we're but just the fact that we know, like, if it would have been a thing where, like, hey, we're establishing that the stakes are very high in this film, you know, in this sequel, that would have been a totally diff- different thing if they didn't show us, like, if, if, if it could be any of these characters. They're all going to, something's going to happen to all of them, something is going to suck for all of them, but which one of them is going to die, we're letting you know right now to establish the stakes. And maybe That's, they're tricking us. Maybe it will, it will change when we see the movie. Even Shh. after Simon Kingberg, like he, but he confirmed, he, he confirmed it. it. Like maybe they they can trick us. They can. That's still true. Trick. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's not tricking. That's called lying. That's <laughs> lying. <laughs> well, I mean, these Marvel movies have been. I mean, one of the biggest, like the blatant things, like was that trailer that you got for Avengers: Infinity War of like the money shot, everybody running at the camera and everybody on the production, the, you know, the, you know, um, the, 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 the Russo brothers, everyone like, yeah, it's this really epic sequence and they're all coming together. And like, yeah, that shot was inserted just for the trailer. Yeah. Like the whole I thing mean, wasn't there. Like, uh, yeah. Trans- yeah. yeah, it was, it was, let me tell you something. That was a really ungratifying experience. Cause I'm like, Oh, this Wakanda scene is not what I expected. Oh yeah. It was, I, the, the thing is, is that we've seen this before. Like, if you remember in The Last Stand, who's one of the, like, most principal X-Men characters you could think of outside of, you know, Jean Grey, Mystique, and, and Wolverine? It's Cyclops. Cyclops, yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> she blasted that nigga to death. <laughs> like, that was it. And that happened in the first 15 minutes of the movie. It's happening and again. He dies off screen. Yeah, like, you don't even get the, like, uh, it's, and, ah, uh, Brad Ratner, you suck. <laughs> like I, I I want this movie to do well. I really, really do. Like it's if it's the one thing I could say about this kind of four part rebooted franchise, it's cast amazingly well. I mean, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender and Nicholas Holt, like, there's some really dope actors. And even Jennifer Lawrence, she's really, really good. And I, I fault her for not fully committing to kind of honor what she signed up to do. But it's just I, I feel like it's really whack and it's really gonna underserve the movie. And, you know, it's, I'm not as excited as I want to be. Um, the only exciting part in that trailer for me was Jessica Chastain. Oh, gosh, Jessica. What? Not Sophie? 
Not, I mean, it's like she's got the veins yeah, of fire, yeah, yeah. And, and, like, and, and and like I grew up on the X Men cartoon, so just knowing that how far this is from the adaptation, either from the comics or from the animated series, which everybody's known for, like the Phoenix is a cosmic entity that's been living inside of her, latched on like a leech, and we're not going to see any of the Shi'ar Empire or you know or um, or Gladiator or the Star Jammer, like it, like those stores, the Hellfire Club. So. This is just going to be like this very kind of cheap, subdued. All right, let's go ahead and get that. I, I don't think it's going to come out. How about that? Yeah, it's not going to come out. It's going to get pushed back again, and it's ultimately going to be shelved. I don't. I don't believe it's coming out. Oh, God. like at all? Like in theaters? No, nah, not at all. I don't think it's going to come out in theaters. It's going to go to Disney Plus. Man, I feel like X Men is kind of or this franchise. Anytime they do one of these movies, it's just like. It's just kind of like okay. It sucks. It's very hit or miss. Yeah, there's only one good one. And that's uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah, Days of Future Past is really good. I, ro- I love it. What, what's movie. the issue here? I mean, is it just because of the directors they pick? Is it the producers? Like, why Why can't they get this right? right? All of the above. All of the above. Simon Klingenberg, is, <laughs> he, he produced all of them. The director of this that's movie the produced so all of them. So he's been a producer. And Deadpool and everyone. He, he produced all of them. Yeah, all of them. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, he so produced he, all of them. He's been in the game for a while. But this is his first time to direct it. Yeah. And I, yeah. Just, it's 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 not doing it for me, uh, but Raul, go ahead and close us out on um, on our news topics if you can, real quick. I think this is gonna be a good combo. Yeah, man. Uh, so last little item here we're gonna discuss um, the one that I think is is uh, the biggest deal is uh, the situation that <clears throat> has been you know going on for about a year. Um, it's come around again, and it's uh, this whole situation with Spielberg. Being against Netflix, being able to be considered for Academy Awards, he believes that they are they should be considered for Emmys. They're more like TV because of the streaming service. Um, I know Ava DuVernay is currently she's she's against this. She believes that they should be considered in the same category. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you guys how I feel, but I, first I want to hear what, what do you guys think about this? I think that Netflix should be able to be considered. I think it's just a new way of making movies. I, some of their movies are just as good, and they're getting better, and some of them, just, we just need to pretend like they don't exist. But, you know, we do that with the box office, too. Um, and I, I feel like they can be considered a studio, and they should, as long as they follow the current rules, um, they should be considered for um, the Oscars. Yeah, that, that's the same for me. As far as they follow the Academy rules of being played in major cities, major markets, for two weeks... And uh, they have theatrical release, they they can be there. And uh, I prefer the movie to be released for the, the first two weeks without being streaming for, yeah, first on I the agree. same day. And um, and I think they will do this with the Irishman. They will they will release the movie first in theaters for two weeks, then it will be released on Netflix. I, that's what I heard that Martin Scorsese when they when he signed with them when he signed with them uh, for this to happen, but it was never mentioned again. So we will wait and see. What do you think, Cahill? Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting conversation, and you know what I've kind of heard talked about in film Twitter. One, a lot of people are shitting on Steven Spielberg. Um, this is definitely this is more of like a generational thing, right? I get what Spielberg is trying to say. He's just not crafting his argument very well. Um, to say that Netflix movies should only be qualified for the Emmys because they are released on a television format. Well, there's a lot of movies that come out that are never released in theaters. I mean, 
there's movies that are marketed as straight to DVD, and like that's that is a you know a subset of release, and that comes to just in regards to like you know budgetary confinements and restrictions and things like that. Now, no straight to DVD movie has ever been has never been good enough to have notoriety in order to um, like be elevated to like the Oscars or the Golden Globes or BAFTA or Critics Choice. But like the way that we digest media has changed, and I think that this is more of like a get off my lawn kind of argument. And I, I wish that people would just like, un- times are different. Like, we, the system has to change in order for things to get better. Now, I think that there's things that Netflix needs to do that needs to kind of adhere to more of what the studios have to face, right? Because the studios won, and, and let me let me know if you guys are in the same thing, right? I think I had to ask myself, okay, so what is it that you want? You're proposing this argument for what? Well, is it unfair that a lot of the films that are released as major theatrical releases, they are held to a lot more scrutiny. They have to be a little bit more transparent in a lot of different ways. And that lends itself to if people are going to view it. Do you kind of get what I'm saying or need to under- explain that better? No, you okay. asked me. Forgive me. All right. So let's say, for example, for Roma, right? Before, or just any movie, any movie you could think of that comes out, before you go to watch the movie, uh, the general moviegoer will have a, like, wants an idea of, is this a good movie? Should I waste my money, right? And typically, you either, one, will look for reviews or look to see how it's doing at the box office, correct? Yeah. And that informs, it sets up your expectation along with the marketing of the movie, like the trailer, right? Sure. Netflix doesn't have to buy by those rules. You know what I'm saying? Like, if Roma came out and made, like, no money, I guarantee you that that would really, like, lower people's expectations. Wow, if this movie's not performing well, and that's why box office totals and actuals are really important to a movie's success. So if I see a movie continually do bad, like, wow, this movie just came out this week and it didn't make it in the top ten, what is that telling me? It's the same thing, like, when you want to know how popular a movie is or, like, you know, having reviews... And oftentimes you don't get that with a lot of the streaming service movies. So I think that's what ultimately Steven Spielberg is getting at. Kind of make it as an equal of playing field and being transparent. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so what I, I said something similar but different, right? Whereas like I'm not thinking about the box office gross as much. What I'm thinking of is that the reason... I think it bothers probably a lot of the people like Spielberg, which, by the way, guys, let's be real. He's the most successful filmmaker in history. Let's not forget about and that. And he gave me one of my favorite films to come out in a long time, which is Ready Player One. I love that so, movie. So let's not, it's, not like, it's not like Homeboy is, like, losing out on much, all right? So, like, I don't – that's – the fact that it's him kind of bothers me. But what I, what I see is, is bothering a lot of people like him. Is that the rules? This is what the, what Netflix doesn't have to abide by, right? Netflix people can go to Netflix with anything, okay? And Netflix can make it because Netflix is not so concerned with how is it going to perform at the box office. Netflix makes their money from their streaming service from people paying monthly, so that gives them the liberty. To be able to make anything. No it's like, studio. It's like sour, salary versus hourly. Sure. No studio. No studio would have ever made Roma. Okay. This is Roma is a film that everyone knows would not have performed well at the box office. 
would not really wouldn't have made its money back ever. So no studio would have made this. Netflix would. Netflix has its own rules that it's working on, and it can create things that are more, if you want to put it, you know, quote unquote, artistic, and that I believe will be the kind of movies that get that kind of acclaim and recognition from different film festivals. Because again, they are not concerned with like, how is it going to be received at the box office? They are concerned with like, hey, why not? Let's make this. It's by this director. It's a recognizable name. It's a recognizable actor. It's going to be on our streaming service. People are going to watch it. People are going to tune in. People are going to log in to watch this while it's on our service. So they, they really, really, really have the liberty to make things that a lot of these other directors wish they could make at the other big studios to release for major markets. You and hearing, I mean? hearing you say that makes me like it. And I, and I kind of like that Netflix is out there because I feel like there's a lot of movies that should be made that are being pushed aside because yeah. they won't do well for the masses. Absolutely. But they may do well for a few people and it really changes their lives. Because that's what movies do. Movies can change people's lives, can change people the way they think, can can give them new perspectives. Yes, and yes, yes. Hearing you say that makes me like Netflix a lot more and I don't want them to lose this ability. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely tough because in addition to the argument, like one kind of brought this up is that how, how Roma performed at the Oscars and also there was a lot of people thought that what Netflix was doing lacked a lot of taste and that they were essentially buying their Oscar. Like their campaign was reported between 30 to $50 million to be spent just on trying to get Roma to win as many Oscars as possible. And in my opinion, that cheapens it. Um, because one, any other studio, studio would not and could not do that. Like, what, Let's say this movie cost $100 million to make, right? Mm-hmm. No, you would not spend half of your production budget on an Oscar campaign. And other studios can't do that because they have to, like, like one, you guys work in movie theaters yourself. When you have to talk to your buyer and they're saying how long they want to keep the, the, this movie on a particular studio for, like, a screen, like, that plays into it, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. I, I guess, I mean, there's always going to be an ugly side of everything, but that's what happens when you're coming up on change, you know? It's a new thing and we got to figure out how it's going to work. Yeah, but uh, let's not forget, like... Netflix invested much more money than most studios tend to, but these studios are spending a lot of money on on buying these Oscars as Netflix has. It's just that Netflix spent more. And maybe, I mean, maybe they're looking at it as a good investment so that they can get more. Absolutely. The budget for making Romo was only $15 million and it made $4.1 million at the box office. At those 27 theaters it was playing... It's only a third of its a third of its budget. Yeah. So it, it they're again they are not concerned. Fifteen million. That's low. They are not concerned with like how is it performing. They put it out there. Why? Because that is I'm sure what Alfonso Cuarón wanted. He wants to be considered for the Oscars. They are following the rules of the. Oscars. The only rule that I can that again as Shama mentioned that I think the Oscars could and probably should change and I'd be okay with this change is that it has to release. In theaters first for before a minimum of two weeks yeah. before streaming. But that's going to defeat their entire business model. They won't do that. If they want to compete for the Oscars, they will. Yeah. Because this uh, year they said, like, we would like to change history and it would be the first streaming service that would win the Oscars. A lot of people and will still say, I'll wait two weeks. 
I'll just wait two weeks. They know people will. People are willing to wait two weeks if it means they got to spend $10 less. I'm already paying $10 for Netflix. I'll just wait two more weeks. It's not going to kill me to wait two more weeks. People wait for DVD. People wait for the Redbox. They'll wait two weeks to see yeah. it on Netflix. Yeah, from the a lot of our guests, we, we talk to them and like, yeah, some movies, oh, yeah, we're going to wait till it comes on Redbox. We're going to buy yeah. it. We're going to rent it, you know. The only thing it'll hurt is the CEO's ego because he has been saying forever he will not do it. But if he wants to compete and they ch- make this change, trust me, he's going to have a cha- change of heart real quick when everybody else says, this is what we got to do, bro. We'll see. We'll see. We will definitely see. Um, I think that that kind of puts a pin into the news that kind of mattered most to us uh, throughout this particular week. I would love for you guys to kind of be a part of the show and report to us some of the news that you think that matters that we'd love to be able to discuss and talk about. Please go ahead and remember to get at us on Twitter at mreportpod or send us an email. We'll make sure to include all the info in the show notes in the podcast as is detailed below. Next up on the report, we've got the Minority Report Card Awards. I figured the Academy's been around for a very long time, but did they get the show right? Did they get the awards right? Nah, of course they didn't. So we decided to compile our very own Best of the Best Awards presentation, regardless of the Academy nominations, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, Critics' Choice. It's all about us, and we feel shit. We know that you'll be in agreement once we're done. So... The Report Card Award goes to, we've got, starting with Best Supporting Actress, I'm going to go ladies first. Dre, who do you nominate for Best Supporting Actress for 2018, the Report Card Award? All right, for Best Supporting Actress, (laughs) I have Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place. Raul, what you got? All right, so my answer is actually going to come out of left field as well. Uh, nobody's going to see, see this coming. We haven't had this conversation, so you guys are going to see this coming. Uh, I'm going with Olivia Cook, Not for Life Itself, because uh, that's a terrible movie, uh, but for Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds, she did a fantastic job. It didn't get as much love out there as it should have, in my opinion. It's not a perfect film, but like her performance was really excellent. Yeah, it was really good. It was a really good performance. I contend that's more of a co-lead as opposed to a supporting role. But let's go ahead and move it on over. Shama, who would you award the uh, report card to for Best Supporting Actress? I will give it to Claire Foy for First Man. She did a very Ah. good job. And she was snubbed from the Oscars. And uh, I really loved her performance. She she made me cry. I don't think she was snubbed. I think uh, she shouldn't have been there. But, uh, yeah. Well, I would say that she definitely should have been there over Amy Adams in Vice. No, Amy Adams is a good job. No, if I had to compare between the two, I would definitely go Claire Ford. Yeah, yeah, I, would yeah, Claire I, would, well. yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but to be honest with you guys, the right answer for Best Supporting Actress obviously is going to come from me. I mean, in, in all honesty, the Minority Report Card Award for Best Supporting Actress easily, hands down, will go to Rachel Weisz for what she did in The Favorite. Can we just all come together and award this woman her just due? It was a phenomenal performance. She really was like this secondary anchor to Olivia Coleman. She helped kind of ground this crazy performance from Coleman. So in order for us to move forward, we do have to come to consensus, and we are all on a different page. So who do we think out of these four nominations should be really like, you know what, Lena, which way? Who's going to get the award? All right, I'll give it to Rachel Weisz. Holla, Rachel Weisz. Raul. I'd give it to Rachel Weiss. 
Hala. Shama. Of course, if it's not Clairefoy, it's Rachel Weiss. She deserves it. All right. Damn. But who would you and go with? Who would I go with in this instance? I would actually go uh, with Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place. Yeah, nice. she did an excellent job. Yeah. Everybody, Rachel Weiss is the Minority Report a card, a card, a card award winner for Best Supporting Actress in a role in The Favorite. You're very welcome. Get at me. Call me after the show. And moving on really quick, we're going over to Best Supporting Actor. So... I'm going to go ahead and have Raul start us off for the Minority Report Card Award for Best Supporting Actor. Who you got? Best Supporting Actor, I'm actually going to go with my boy Alex Wolf in Hereditary. <clears throat> Interesting. He, uh, I mean, he, he, he nailed that role. I mean, everything from the subtleties to like the really, really like high point moments of that performance, like when his head gets slammed on the desk and he has to jump backwards. Like, he, he really, really, really did a fantastic job. And that role, and he convinced me. So, I, and I think it, nobody talked about that. People didn't talk about that movie enough. Nobody talked about his performance enough. Everybody was talking about Tony Collette. But, like, he really, really did a great job. Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of Hereditary, to be honest with you. I thought the performances were were, were more special than actually what the overall plot was. Um, so I would agree with you. That's a really good choice. Sean, what you got? Um, I will give it to Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? His performance was phenomenal. Like, the way he started his first scenes in the movie was gradually giving us, like, like a way of teaching how to perform this kind of personality in a very simple way. And I really loved his role. Gotcha. Definitely a good choice. Dre, what you got? All right, so I picked... Lewis Pullman from Bad Times at El Royale. I was, I'm going to be really quick and fast. I was so blown away by his performance. He was the bell hop at first. And he seemed like such a skittish, such a quiet, tormented, well, just quiet, awkward. And then you feel he's kind of tormented. And then you find out that he's secretly awesome and all around good. He, yeah. It was just so very complex dimensional. Character. And like the moment when he's being like trying to figure out if he's going to live or not. And then that girl tells him her name and he sees that he's going to die. Like he, his facial expressions and defeat in that moment was just, I was blown away from, by his performance. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah. I mean, until you literally just said that name, I didn't even think of him. And not that his performance was a special, because in my opinion, I the trailer was better than the end result of what I got out of Bad Times at El Royale. Um, but what he did in that movie had so many different layers. It was definitely probably the strongest performance. I really like John Hamm, but what you said his name is Lewis Coleman? That's a pretty dope pick. That's something that I... that That is... Pullman? Pullman. Pullman. Pullman is he like is he is he Bill Bill Pullman's son? Yeah, he's his Bill, Bill Pullman's son. He is. Wait, that's so okay. If you guys don't know, Shama has a very thick. I he said this before, kind of off air, and I did not know that that's what you were talking about. <laughs> no, oh, he's God. the president. He's the president's son. Wow. He's oh, okay. Son. He's the first it's, son. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to change my pick. But I may be leading that way, depending on the preferential round. I'm actually going to go, even though I didn't like this movie on its whole, what Daniel Kaluuya did in Widows was, I just thought, really great. Very small amount of scene time, but he stole every scene in which he was 
he was like a caged animal. He had this very menacing, very kind of like silent, stoic, like monster just built up. And he did so much more acting without having to say any word. And I just thought he did an excellent job and was the best thing inside of that whole movie. Um, so just to kind of recount, we got Alex Wolf inside of Hereditary, Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Lewis Pullman, the president's son, and Bad Times El Royale, and Daniel Kaluuya inside of Widows. If our preferential balloting system, which I think worked the first go around, let's do it again. We cannot nominate the person we just got finished nominating. We got to choose from the other three. I'm going to give it to ladies first. Dre, Alex Wolf, Richard E. Grant, or Daniel Kaluuya, who you got? I didn't see any of these, so I'm just going to default to my husband, and I'm going to pick ah. Alex Wolf. That's marriage power, folks. Go ahead. Put your pinky rings, excuse me, your ring finger up in the air. That's marriage power right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ro, who you got? Uh, I'm going with Lewis Pullman, not because she's my wife, but because I think that's, <laughs> that's the next best choice. And he, he really okay. was fantastic at a bad times. Alright, there we go, Shama. What about you, man? I'll go with the, the Lewis Pullman. He he did a phenomenal job. He was really good. He was unexpected from the beginning of the movie. I didn't ever think like that's a good actor, and he named it. Got you. Well, I gotta be honest and keeping this fair, um, not being able to have Daniel Kaluuya. I'm actually gonna go with Alex Wolf, which puts us right down the middle to a tie. So we're gonna do this final round to see who's gonna take home the Minority Port Award for Best Supporting Actor. We have between Alex Wolf in Hereditary and Lewis Pullman out of Bad Times at El Royale. What are we thinking, guys? Shaman. Lewis Pullman. Lewis Pullman. Pullman. Is that what you're saying, Lewis Pullman, uh, Des? Yes, I mean, that was your original pick. All right, man, where are we going? We can't be split down the middle. What are we thinking? What do you re- would you kind of look between these two, between Alex Wolf and Lewis Pullman? Lewis Pullman. I probably, I'll say Lewis Pullman. I, you know I like what? I like what he did and uh, and his character not only like made me feel like man he's really pathetic at at the beginning but and then made me kind of be like grossed out because of his addiction you know just be like oh that sucks but like he really really tugged at my heart and like broke my heart towards the end of the movie when you, when you see him like how much he wants the father to like <clears throat> just give him this you know what I mean like please just tell me that I'm gonna be okay after death. Please forgive me for my sins. Like, it really, really pulled at me. And so, I like Alex Wolf. That was my choice. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Lewis Pullman. This is pretty crazy, folks. I'm definitely going to go with, with Lewis Pullman as well. And this was something I did not even think about, literally, until Dre said it. But now that I'm pulling everything back, and, like, you're right. There's so many more layers. And you kind of think, like, he just has... He was able to go deeper into places... And that was probably the strongest part of that entire script. Not saying that what Alex Wolf doesn't deserve the same merit, but his was a lot more of like physical reaction to a lot of the things that were going on to him that I thought was really, really impressive. But yeah, the shout out to the Minority Report Card winner uh, for the award for Best Supporting Actor, the Lewis Pullman in Fast Times at El Royale. That's about all the love that that movie got, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, moving on. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I thought the trailer was definitely better than the end result, but hey, maybe it'll kind of have a resurgence. Well, no, nah, it's been out it's been out of theaters for quite a while. But let's go ahead and move on uh, forward to the next uh, Minority Port Award. Um, I cannot find my paper. Hold on. We're going to cut this out. No, I'm not. 
Moving on over to our lead category. I want to go ahead and start off with lead actor. So we want the first round for the Minority Report card award for lead actor. I'm going to start this one off. I'm going to go ahead and nominate, hands down, my most impressive lead performance by an actor. And that was for Bradley freaking Cooper. What he did as Jackson Maine in A Star is Born was just transformational. Um, guys, this guy, in my mind, started his career inside of Wedding Crashers. And he plays a raccoon. He like, <laughs> and this dude has now transformed himself into this deeply alcoholic and like mentally damaged, broken country singer in Jackson, Maine. And I did not see Bradley Cooper at all. I thought it was the best performance of the year, and that's who I would give the Minority Report card award to. How about you, Shama? <clears throat> Definitely Bradley Cooper. I saw the movie 12 times in theaters, and every time he makes... 12 times? Yes. <laughs> Yo, let's give him an award for 12 times. Golly. 12 times? Yes. He saw Rogue One 99 times, guys, in theaters, so let's... Uh, <laughs> he actually did. That must, that must have been when he was an usher and had to clean it like five times a day. <laughs> I paid, I paid those paid 99 <laughs> times. <laughs> Yo, that reminds me, the summer that I worked at a movie theater was when High School Musical 3 came out, and they literally, just coming in there at the end of that movie, was I probably watched the end of High School Musical at least like 150 oh, times yeah. that summer. It was just nuts. Golly. Yo, go ahead, Raul. Dre, what you got for Lee? Brett Lee! All right, that was simple. <laughs> uh, I think this is going to be our first, uh, right off the bat, general consensus. I'm going with Bradley. Hey, as well. wow. This sounds like a unanimous uh, award for the Minority Report card to Bradley freaking Cooper. Congratulations. The Academy didn't want to show you no love. But we at Minority Report will because we respect the work that you do and keep doing it. And um, you're going to be a shining star. And just please, honor your wife, bro. What you did on that Academy Award stage, I don't think. Let me tell you something. That's, and Bradley, yeah, listen, listen, we know you're listening. So you deserve the nomination. <laughs> yes, Love you, Bradley. <laughs> Love you, Bradley. Moving on. <laughs> And moving on, let's go ahead and wrap this up out of the lead category for the Minority Report uh, Card Award for Lead Actress. And uh, let's Shama take this off. Who do you got as lead actress? The fantastic, unbelievable performance from Olivia Colman in The Favorite. There we go. Olivia she Colman was, the favorite. She, she nailed the role for, to, for the queen. She, <laughs> she did everything that we can ever think uh, at this time, at this era, she did a, she did a great job. What do you think, Raul? Uh, I'm I was I was between Olivia Coleman, Tony Collette, but I'm leaning with Olivia Coleman. She her her role was so complex. She is the lady, yep. and she was fantastic. And I put Olivia Coleman too, exactly for that reason, which is the complexity that she gave that character. Goodness gracious! Back to back unanimity, unanimity. Unanimity. Yes, back-to-back unanimity for Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. She gets the Minority Report Card Award for Best Lead Actress. And congratulations to her. She really deserved it. I mean, just the different levels of emotion she goes through. Heartbreak, through romance, through cheer, through sorrow. Like, it was just really done. Great job that Yorgos Lanthimos. And a bit bipolar. I'm very much so. Very much. A bit? 
And, and, and I love the symmetry when you can craft a story where the first image that you see, you end on that same image. And just think about it. Like we started the movie with an image that was just her. And she's just this broken woman that is dealing with trauma. And then literally the last image that we see kind of being intercut with those bunnies was this face that we thought like there's times where she's just sweet and she just literally morphed into like this monster. And it's just crazy. Oh, God, that movie's so good. And to be honest with you, I, I think what makes the movie good is a good director. So we want to go ahead and honor um, a Minority Report Card Award for Best Direction in a Motion Picture. And I'm going to go ahead and bring it all over to Dre. And I want her to be able to give us a first nomination for this award. Who you got? I went with Bradley Cooper. Ooh, I like that. Okay, can, let's see if he can be able to double dip inside of this uh, this celebration. Uh, so we got Bradley Cooper for Star is Born. Who you got, Raul? This is not going to be the uh, third time being unanimous in a row. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Yorgos uh, Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos for his work inside Yorgos the favorite, Lanthimos. which we just talked about. Okay, who do you have, Shama? Uh, the fantastic, great Brian Singer. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, 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 no. I will give it to Yorgos Lanthimos because I really love this man. He did a great job. I I loved his previous movies, and in this movie, it's really good. He's also listening. He's gonna be very flattered. Yorgos, I don't yeah. love you yet because you haven't done enough for me. Love you, Yorgos. But uh, you did. A We're Mediterranean like each other. Like each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. We can't say both sentences. Yeah, they both watched 90210. <laughs> hey, yo, real quick, if we could just take a quick moment and just a moment of silence. Um, shout out to Luke Perry. Luke Perry. Um, S- yeah, Luke Perry, S-I-P, R-I-P, man. Um, I, I, you know, it, 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 it's sad and, um, you know, definitely many condolences and prayers out to your family in this time of grief. So we're just going to take a quick moment of silence. And in honor of Luke Perry, let's go ahead and continue on with the award. Um, unfortunately, I did not go into either of those directions. I truly believe that the best direction that I saw, which is crazy because I had no desire to watch this movie at all, was Alfonso Cuaron for what he did in Roma. Um, so this is unique. So this is the first round. We've got uh, we've, we've got Yorgos Lanthimos. We've got two nominations for him. We've also got Bradley Cooper inside of A Star is Born. And we also got Alfonso Cuaron. So, if we were to go to majority, and this is kind of the first time in this instance, if we would kind of be leaning towards your ghost, do you feel that we need to do a second round? I'm leaning towards your ghost, Lanthimos. I would say, and to bring some consensus to the argument, I really respect the cinematic achievement of Alfonso Cuaron, and he got his Oscar, because I think that what he did was one of the most impressive feats. I mean, this guy hired all of Mexico to be inside of his movie. Like, like, literally, he hired, he hired this, the lamps. The lamps had speaking lines. Like, it's crazy. The street lights, like, every, he, he, what he did was amazing. He also, the, he, he also got every dog in Mexico to take a crap in that uh, uh, garage. Yo, let me tell you something. Okay, I don't have a dog. Raul and Desiree got two dogs. And I'm pretty sure that you can control, to a certain extent, how much shit your dog is responsible no, for. No. Based on the... F- no? No, your dog's going to shit as much as it wants to shit, man. But, like, but, but only if you feed it. Like, he's not... There, there's no, like, ghost so shit coming out of nowhere. Dogs, no food. You don't have to deal with shit? Yeah, but, like, okay. 
Yalitza Aparicio's character, like, she was not a good nanny. So, to, for some reason, his nanny was so, like, he was so enamored with this nanny that he made this whole movie about her. But this dog was shitting everywhere. Like, I do not blame the dad for stepping out because literally, one, he has to drive his little ass car in like the most narrowest of garages. And then the first thing he does after he scrapes up the side of his car is step in shit repeatedly. Yeah, it was really rough. I would choke the dog out. I would choke his life. In, oh like, my God. My, don't say that. You can't have control over you it. You can't say that. You can't say that. Hey, you can't say that. You can't say that. Guys, he is, he is, he is joking. He would yeah. never choke a dog out. We he love animals. We love animals. Oh my gosh. Minorities Are we seriously report. saying this right now? Are we seriously giving this disclaimer because there's some idiot out there who thinks Kaylin's going to choke out There will dog? be some yeah. idiot, and I'm okay with him. Hi, not. idiot. I know that you're listening to us. <laughs> I'm, okay with, I'm okay with him not coming back to listen, but like, I don't want him trash talking us before we... Can you just imagine the Twitter comments? Hey, there's these minorities on this show, and they're talking about choking out dogs. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And then uh, after 10 years, they will the video and cancel your movie and kick you out of your movie in the third part. That's right. Goodness gracious. So it seems like we've gotten a consensus. We're going ahead and award the Minority Report Card Award for Best Director in a Motion Picture to Yorgos Lanthimos. Go out, support the favorite. Actually, I believe it comes out tomorrow. Hard copy on DVD and Blu-ray. Definitely go check it out. And we've now arrived to the best moment of this show. We're going to be awarding the Report Card Award for Best Motion Picture. And we're going to have Raul lead us off. Who is your nomination for the Minority Report Card Award for Best Motion Picture? My nomination is none of the films we've already spoken of. <clears throat> I really believe it deserved to be nominated for uh, many of the, all of these awards. Well, not all of them, but many of these awards and the top awards at the academies. Um, but it didn't get any love, and that's blind spotting. For me, it really was the best film of the year. It does everything a film should do. It moved you. It said something. The film, the the writers and the director had something to say. They had a commentary to make, and it wasn't disrespectful. You know, they made commentary on society, but it, it didn't hurt anyone. It didn't speak. It didn't like oppose like strongly, like to the point where it would hurt anyone's feelings. It was very tasteful. It was very clean. And it was done very, very well. And nothing about the film, you can look at it and say, oh, that was terrible. No, no, the film overall is is very, very well done. It was just such a small film that it really, really didn't get, get the acclaim and the love that it should have. And it was but limited release. It was limited release. It was excellent. And if anybody, if guys, if you get an opportunity to watch this film, go watch it. So yeah, anyway, go ahead. You can rent it or buy it. It's a, it's a very good movie. Yeah. Perfect. Gotcha. All right. What do you have, Shaman? Um, I'll go with the favorite. It's my favorite movie of the year, and it's um, it's a good movie. It's a great movie. That's a very fine choice. I'm gonna go ahead and award the most important black movie, similar to Blind Spotting, but the most important black movie that I've seen of this entire year. It got a perfect rating from me, and that was Barry Jenkins. If Beale Street could talk, um, it is a heart gripping, heart wrenching narrative important piece of the black experience that was acted amazingly well it was written prefer perfectly it has one of the most amazing cinematic scores that i have ever heard i listen to it on spotify every day it's that dope and um as well as the themes that are expressed like what you shared inside of blind spotting um it shows the really just the fundamental breakdown of the judicial system and 
it's it's it, it's it's a really important movie, and I really hope that more people would go out and see it. It's crazy it didn't get more love at the Academy Awards, but I think that um, I've got no problem in saying that this is a Minority Report card nominated award, and that should be put on the Blu-ray. Hey, like that, right? Like that, right? <laughs> I, I'm like that. Well, Dre, speaking your, your... of movies that got no love, my nomination is also Blind Spotting. I saw the trailer, I thought it looked cool, but I had no desire to see it because it looked a bit heavy. Sometimes I'm not into heavy movies, but Raul made me sit down and watch it, and I loved it. And sometimes, you know, people give use this adjective to describe movies, and it usually means they're bad, which is the word artistic. And it was great. It was a movie that was creative and artistic, but also was well done. Um... And I cared for the characters, I believe the characters, and I loved the elements that were a bit theatrical. Um, I think they were they yeah. were brilliantly done, very modern, like that play. What's it called? Um, oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. Very yeah. very modern, like Hamilton is, but didn't take you out of the movie. Um, just made you feel the way you were supposed to. I thought it was mm. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so remember, Raul, I asked you to watch this movie on the last day. Yeah, you yeah. did. You did. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, it really touched me. Like, it was really good. Where did it touch you? I mean, like, my heart. It touched <laughs> my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's... I gotta be honest. So we got two for Blind Spotting, and then we had The Favorite. And to be honest with you, both of those movies are inside of my top ten. Um, and... I, we talked about this before, and I don't think this, you know, we need to go and have it too drawn out. I will always champion if Beale Street could talk, and I can kind of understand some people's reluctancy to really put it up there. Um, was it Beale Street could talk, Raul Des? Was that on your top tens, personally? I actually think it was just short of my top ten. It was, I think the, it, what you said, I, I'll echo Ooh. about the score. It was an incredible score. Um, I think it should have gotten. I'm appalled that it didn't get the best score of the year, uh, you know, the award at the Oscars. But there were other things about the film that really, really did knock it down for me. <clears throat> and, I, and I think a lot of it is director's choices. Um, and so for that reason, I, 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 it wasn't on my top ten. Especially the last, shy. the last eight minutes of the movie. Yeah. If they cut the last eight minutes of the movie, this movie should win Best Picture. And, and with that being said, I would say that the last eight minutes are stronger in Blind Spotting comparatively to a Beale Street could talk. The only part of those, and, and, and I'm not a big fan of David Diggs' performance in the, inside of this particular role. Um, I thought I was watching Hamilton, and I did not feel enough of a connection. I didn't feel like I was looking at an Oakland, California brother. I thought I was looking at a sub dude kind of portrayal of that however everything else i would have to go ahead and i don't think that we need to really go and do around unless you feel like we really need to shama would you believe that for the minority support blind spotting deserves best picture yeah <laughs> i love the way that you buy that's teamwork right there guys i think this was good i let's go ahead and just culminate this that the Minority Report Card Award for Best Picture for 2018 goes to Blind Spot. That, like, that makes me so happy. Like, like, I, I don't know why, but that just like fills a hole yeah, in my heart. Yeah. One, day, one day it will be on, on DVD covers. Don't worry, guys. 
It definitely will be. I mean, we're the only four people that obviously care about this movie because nobody went to go see it. No one else it. saw it. <laughs> no one else saw well, hopefully it. Hopefully they will see it now. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Hey, folks, well, that right there kind of puts a bow on the uh, Minorities Report Card Awards for 2018. Please make sure to interact with us on all of the social medias. We'd love to be able to talk to you and just be able to give your input. Um, where were these guys wrong at? Where was I right at? Make sure to follow it, like everything that we do, and we'd love to be able to talk to you more and more about it. But here's your final report. So... What are we getting into this week? I know I've got a lot on my table. What's coming on TV? What's coming out in theaters? What's streaming? What's up? Well, you guys got me excited about The Kid. All right. So, Raul, tell me a little bit more about The Kid because it has piqued my interest. Yeah, The Kid is a, is a movie. It's actually directed by Vincent D'Onofrio and written by Andrew Lanham who wrote uh, The Glass Castle, The Shack, things like that. Um, and it is a story about a young boy who witnesses Billy the Kid's encounter with Sheriff Pat Garrett. Um, it looks awesome. It, it has Ethan Hawke in it. It has Chris Pratt. Vincent D'Onofrio is also acting in it. And Adam Baldwin. And it has Dane DeHaan playing uh, Billy the Kid. And, and Chris He's Pratt back. is a bad guy, right? Chris Pratt? That's questionable. Is yeah. he the villain? Well, it, the, it's cool if he is a villain. I in the it, trailer, it's kind of like you can't really tell. But that would be cool to see Chris Pratt playing. Yeah, I think he's the villain here. He's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He's playing Grant Cutler, but uh, I don't know what that means. But I, I'm Puerto Rican, so I don't know that much about what people talk about Billy the Kid here. Uh, you know, I know I know Scarface, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I, know, I know that I know the trailer looks dope. I know I know that uh, Dane DeHaan seems to be trying to make a comeback after uh, Valerian, and uh, and I like Vincent D'Onofrio. So I'm excited to see what he can do as a as a director. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to use my AMC Stubbs A-list to the fullest, and I've caught every major theatrical release this year, so I really hope that I don't have to drive two and a half hours to watch this movie. Um, but I'm definitely, um, I, I want to be able to see it. I will be on Thursday night at 7 o'clock instead of my Dolby screening of Captain Marvel. I will say I've heard some early... Uh, reactions to some of the press screenings that have happened uh, today and there's some that are going on tomorrow and I'm really going to go into this movie trying like to block that all out I want to be ready for a fun time I mean this movie has a lot stacked up in its favor because literally we got left <laughs> we got left with Avengers Infinity War and she was the last image that we well her moniker was the last image that we saw so I'm really really excited please just Look forward next week, guys, who are listening, that we are going to go into a really big discussion about the movie. Because ultimately, I really want the fundamental of this show to be about movie reviews and kind of inter interact with one another. So I think that's going to be really great to kind of be able to get into. And I think it's important to be able to have another, you know, titular female character that's representative for a lot of young girls and boys kind of growing up to be able to, you know, be a, an inspiration to, right? Well, let's hope it's good. I really hope they get it right. Yes, I mean, they bet. I'm, I'm not a big, like, I'm not familiar with the comic enough to really kind of know too much. So I'm just going to let Kevin Feige, you know, kind of take me away and, and just hope it all works. Um, is there anything that's uh, on TV this week or just streaming that, the, that our friends in the podcast space know about? No. I don't know, but if you haven't seen period, end of sentence yet, I mean, it's 25 minutes. What, what the hell are you doing with your life? Everybody got 25 minutes. 
Hey, I would say this is a really important 25 minutes. I had no idea. Like, you know, it, that's another good thing about the Oscars that it, at least for the shorts and stuff like that, if if it didn't win the Oscar, I probably wouldn't know anything about it. I didn't know it was on Netflix. And, you know, Raul and Desiree told me to watch it. And it was a really impressive 25 minutes. And it's it's a it's a subject matter that I wouldn't have cared of because I thought that just people know. And it's, it, it is insane just how many people don't understand menstruation and um, how it really impacts uh, young girls. So I would highly recommend Go See Period and the Sentence. And also just Google what's coming on Netflix in March. There's actually a lot of really neat content. There's like this werewolf witch series that's coming out that my wife and I are going to get into. Yeah, it's um, that it looks really good. Oh, um, I know March 15th. I'm not too sure we're going to get out to uh, Triple Frontier. A new trailer just dropped. Go watch the new trailer for Triple Frontier. That's oh, yeah. Oscar Isaac and um, with Ben Affleck. And, oh, yeah. And the trailer is really out. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah excited. I'm excited to see that. And actually, I just remember two weeks ago, I missed uh, Chef's Table, the new season. Season six, if okay. I'm not mistaken, dropped. I'm going to be watching that this week for sure. Also... Yeah. Just a friendly reminder, new Game of Thrones coming out next month. In 40 so days, you guys. you haven't caught up, 40 you days. better catch up. Did you guys check out those EW covers? I don't know what that means, but uh, no. Uh, Inter- Entertainment Weekly. Oh, no, I, haven't. I haven't seen it. Yeah. They, they Googling it really, right now. Yeah, they look really, really great. And it has everybody sitting on the Iron Throne, so it's really kind of... Oh, I have seen those covers. Uh, Game of Thrones has been tweeting. They actually tweeted at us and report yeah, asking us to pledge our allegiance. Hey, I like that. Shout out to HBO. Even though you got some shitty, you got some shitty taste in documentaries that you're doing. Believe me, next week we will be getting into a nice deep dive conversation of Leaving Neverland, the really controversial Michael Jackson documentary. So be on the lookout for that next week. That's just a little bit of what we got going into this upcoming week, and we cannot wait to be able to talk about it with you next week. So, as we all do, it's been dope spending time with you guys, and we just want you to be able to get out of us. So, please, all of our different social media platforms, follow the show at mreportpod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, do you guys want to sign off? So, let know, uh, let people know where they can be able to find you at. Hey, yeah, on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at the Raul. Nevado, that's N-A-V-E-D-O. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mohamed Shama. It's M-O-H-A-M-E-D-S-H-A-M-A. And you can find me on all platforms that I'm on at Ezerphoto. That's E-Z-E-R. Perfect. And it's getting warm, folks. So I know you guys are going to be celebrating new beginnings. And if you want to be able to have those beginnings memorialized in photo, hit your girl Dre up. She'll be able to take care of you with some amazing work. Please follow her. Once again, I'm at Kobe Mac on Twitter and Instagram. Please like, subscribe, comment, and share this episode with all your friends. Be a part of the show. And if you have a report, let us know. I'm Kobe Mac, and this is Minorities Report. Peace.